Good evening, and thank you for joining us on the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. I am Karen Nutt, Director of Child Development Services with the Braille Institute. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Oh, thank you very much, Karen. It's always so nice to be with you. And today we have a lot of new listeners, so I'm very glad that we have so many people from the Junior Blind of America. Just to remind all of you that we do perform these lectures each month, and for your record, all of these lectures are available for you to listen to when you go to the Airs LA website at www.airsla. That's a i r s l a dot org, and you can also go to the Braille Institute website at www.brailleinstitute.org, and you could find these particular types of lectures. So this evening we're going to be talking about the different types of eye care professionals that can be very, very helpful to the child who has low vision. You know, for many years I was a pediatric low vision optometrist, and people would often call and they would have the question of, do I really need to come and see you? I was referred to come to see you to get a low vision examination, but my child has been examined by many doctors, some of the finest doctors at UCLA and USC and Children's Hospital. And the answer to that is yes, it would be very, very helpful. So this evening, I'm going to talk about what are the roles of the different types of eye doctors. Now, the first thing that's very important to understand is that not all eye doctors are really the same. You could think about a situation where you have your home and you hire a carpenter to fix your house. But that carpenter isn't necessarily going to be the person who's going to be testing your plumbing. And the plumber isn't going to be the person who's going to be testing your electrical but all of them are working on the house. And this is really what goes on with different eye doctors. We are all labeled as eye doctors, but what we do is actually very, very different. Now, the first type of eye doctor that I recommend that all children would receive an examination from is going to be a pediatric ophthalmologist. Now, an ophthalmologist is a medical doctor who has earned the MD degree. And upon receiving the MD degree, they then go on for further training in ophthalmology, where they then learn all about the tissues of the eyes and how the visual system works. And then the ophthalmologist will then choose to perform what is called a different type of a fellowship. Now, the fellowships in ophthalmology may be pediatrics, 
Or maybe you want to be a person who specializes in cataract surgery or another type of neuro-ophthalmology where you're just studying the brain and the vision. So for children who have suffered from low vision or any type of vision problem, we want the child to receive an examination by a pediatric ophthalmologist. This would be the doctor who has completed a residency and the fellowship in pediatric ophthalmology. Now, the main purpose of this examination is to inspect the tissues of the eyes to determine whether or not there is a problem with the tissues of the eyes. The way that the eye develops early on after pregnancy is such that the DNA is going to direct which proteins are going to be assembled to create and to develop the different structures of the eyes. And it's very, very interesting. If we were to look at a fetus 15 weeks after pregnancy, we actually could see that the eyes are already beginning to develop. So very, very early on, three to four months after pregnancy, the eyes are developing during that time. Now, there can be different things that go wrong during that development. It could be that the proteins don't develop normally, or it could be that the DNA is not normal and it tells the cells to produce the wrong protein. And any of these types of problems can then affect the function of those tissues. So when a child is going to be examined by a pediatric ophthalmologist, the first thing that's going to take place is a very, very complete medical history. Now, the reason for this is that there are many different things that can affect the development of the eyes. If it is a situation where there's a family history of eye disease, this is something that may tell us that there can be an inherited eye problem, and we need to look at that. It could also be that the child is exposed to stress. Maybe the mother has been beaten, or maybe the mother has abused drugs or alcohol, or maybe the mother suffered from a serious medical illness or an infection. All of these types of conditions can affect the development of the eyes of these babies. So after the history has taken place, the doctor also wants to know what types of medications has the mother taken or what other things does she do that may affect the development of the baby. Some different medications or even drugs that are illegal can affect the development of the baby. We also know that if the mother is a smoker, these are things that can possibly affect the development of the tissues of the eyes. And then we also want to know, how was the delivery itself? You know, there are so many stories that you hear of emergency pregnancy deliveries, and the baby may have been born prematurely. I just had a friend recently, and she has just given birth to a baby after 22 weeks of gestation. 
Now, that is very, very early. Normally, a baby is born after 40 weeks gestation. But if we know that the baby is born prematurely, there's certain things that the pediatric ophthalmologist must do. So then it comes to the portion of examining the eyes themselves. Now, you might think, how can an eye doctor examine the vision of these children? You know, they're so tiny, and they won't do what you ask them to do. They don't understand. You know, you can't ask these little infants which is better, one or two. Those types of things don't work. But during the pediatric ophthalmology examination, the ophthalmologist technicians will very often begin by putting an eye drop in the eye. And these eye drops, they do not sting when we put it in the eye. Sometimes the babies will cry because they're surprised that something has been put in their eyes, but it doesn't hurt, and it is not something that's real painful. Now, the purpose of these drops are to dilate the pupils of the eyes. Now, the pupil of the eye is the black circle that you see when you look at your eyes in the mirror. You know, if you go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you see the colored part of your eye, maybe you have brown eyes, maybe you have green eyes, maybe you have blue eyes, but you'll notice in the very center there is a black circle. And that black circle is a hole. The pupil is the hole that allows light to enter the eye. And when we see many babies, their pupils are often very small, and that makes it difficult to examine the tissues of the eyes. So the eye drop that has been placed into the eye will dilate the pupil. And within about 10 to 15 minutes, the pupils will be very dilated, and that makes it much, much easier for the pediatric ophthalmologist to look at the tissues of the eyes. Now, the first thing that the doctor is going to do is that they will perform a test that is called ophthalmoscopy, and that's spelled O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-S. C-O-P-Y, ophthalmoscopy, and that is basically the area, the chart notes you want to look towards, and that is where the doctor is going to be looking at the eyes. The very front tissue of the eye is a transparent tissue that is called the cornea, and when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we really don't see our own cornea because it is transparent, but you may see some people and some children, and when you look at them, you may notice that you cannot see their pupil very easily. And that's because the cornea, the very frontmost tissue that is curved, or the tissue that a contact lens goes on, the cornea is clouded. So in these cases, if a child has a clouded cornea, the pediatric ophthalmologist may recommend a treatment for it. Sometimes it might be eye drops that will tend to dehydrate the cornea because the cornea, for some reason, it's too swollen. In other cases, it may be there's scarring to the cornea, and surgery may be performed to remove that scarring and to allow clear tissue to develop onto the cornea. 
The next area that the doctor is going to look at is a doctor will look right through the pupil and immediately behind the pupil is something that's called the lens. Now, the lens of the eye is normally transparent. And as a result, if it's transparent, a child or an adult is able to see what's in the surroundings. But there are some cases in which that lens might be very cloudy. And in these cases, when we look inside the eye right behind the pupil, it may look very yellow. It might look yellow and white. And when it is yellow and white like that, we know that light cannot get into the eye and these children will have very, very poor vision. This is called a cataract. And when the natural lens of the eye is clouded, the cataract really impairs vision. So the cataract, though, is something that can be very successfully removed in surgery. And after the cataract has been removed, the doctor will then prescribe contact lenses or glasses, or both, to allow light to enter the eye and for the child to be able to see. Now, you might say, hey, you know what? My grandmother had a cataract, and she got an implant, in, and she was able to see really well, and she often didn't even wear glasses. Can they put an implant inside the eye of a child? And the answer to that is yes, they actually can. But the reason that it usually is not inserted into the eye is that the eye is growing every year, usually for the first 20 years. And as the eye grows, the prescription for that eye will change. So this would mean that every year a child would need to get a new implant. And having that many surgeries to the eye would then be dangerous. So this is why we use contact lenses or glasses, and we could change the prescription in the contact lens or in the glasses, and it's much, much safer to the eye. But after these children who have had cataracts are about 20, 21 or so, it's very common that we will then refer them back for surgery, and the pediatric ophthalmologist will then implant a artificial lens in the eye and that really helps them to see very well. The next region of the eye that the pediatric ophthalmologist is going to look at is what's called the vitreous gel. Now, the vitreous gel is very similar. You could think of it just being like Vaseline. And this is what fills up the eyeball itself. You know, you might wonder, what is it that prevents the eyeball from collapsing is it that there's air in the eye, like in a, a balloon that we fill up with air? Well, the answer is that Vaseline jelly called vitreous is inside the eye. And there are some cases where a child may have problems with that vitreous gel. If a child is born premature, sometimes there's bleeding in that vitreous gel and the child is not able to see because there's so much blood in there. The pediatric ophthalmologist can perform surgery where the vitreous gel that is dirty would then be removed to allow vision to occur. 
And the next area that the ophthalmologist looks at after looking through that vitreous gel is the retina. Now, the retina is really a very, very important structure of the eye, and it really consists of millions and millions of different cells. In fact, the retina has many, many, many layers. So we could almost think of the retina as being like 10 layers of film stacked on top of each other. And all of these cells are going to be responsible for signals to be sent to the brain so that the brain could eventually see. Now, the retina is divided up into two areas. So when we look in the eye, we look at two major areas. The first area is the central retina. This is the part of the retina that when light enters the eye, it focuses right on the central retina. And the central retina is called the macula, M-A-C-U-L-A. The macula has what are called cone cells in there. And these cone cells give the ability to see details and colors. If there is damage to the macula and the cone cells, this child will have very blurred vision. And this child would often have no color vision. And they may also be very, very sensitive to the bright light. So these are some of the findings and observations you might make. If you notice that a child doesn't really make eye contact or doesn't look straight at your eyes, this child may have damage to the macula. Or if you use colored toys and the child doesn't seem interested, but the child will look at black and white toys, this might be another indication that the macula is damaged. Or if you then take this child outdoors and the child just doesn't open his eyes or her eyes when you're outdoors, this might mean that there's problems with the macula. So the macular region is something that is going to send small detailed information to the brain in order for the brain to be able to see those details. Now, you may have also heard of the term macular degeneration. You know, you might say, yeah, my 90-year-old next-door neighbor, he told me he just was diagnosed with macular degeneration. Well, this is when that central region of the macula, it does not work well, and that is because of age. So we now know that there's many advances in ophthalmologic science, and we know what is some of the causes that affects these tissues. For example, it was recently discovered that there is an enzyme that is present in the eyes of these adults who have macular degeneration. And these enzymes are actually attacking the cone cells in the macula. So this leads that there's probably going to be tests very soon where we will measure if this enzyme is present in the eyes of children and adults. And if it is present, we can then recommend medication that's going to prevent that enzyme from attacking the cells.
There's also other treatments now where they are using what are called stem cells. And stem cells are cells that you could put into the eye and it will produce a new cone cell. So that's very, very exciting. And also for the macula, we're also finding that gene therapy. We now know that there's specific gene DNA defects. And these defects in the DNA are affecting the tissues, the retina. And if a person has that particular type of gene abnormality, the normal DNA can be injected into the eye and this is something that can promote the formation of healthy retinal cells. So this is really, really new and really, really exciting, and it is something that's available right now. Now, the other area that the ophthalmologists look at of the retina besides the macula is the area that surrounds the macula, and that is called the peripheral retina. And the peripheral retina is made up of rod cells. And what's really interesting is that the rod cells do not have the ability to see small details, and they do not see color. But they're very, very effective in seeing dark and light images. They could see under very low lighting and they're also very, very sensitive to seeing movement. And the information that the rod cells receive is very important if we're talking about walking or walking at night or maybe that we're hunting and we're looking for any sign of movement of something that we're trying to catch or it is able to see that. And when we see people who have damage to the peripheral retina where those rod cells are damaged, these patients have night blindness. Night blindness. So if you see a child who has very poor night vision or any time you turn off the lights in the room and the child just cries and cries and cries, or you see this as child who is just learning to crawl and as soon as you turn off the lights, that child just freezes. This could be an indication that the child has problems with that peripheral retina. Now, many of these peripheral retinal diseases are diseases that are caused by genetic abnormalities. Retinitis pigmentosa is one of the most common causes of retinal damage in the periphery. But there are some really, really exciting gene therapy research that's going on now. And it is something that has improved the vision of children and adults who have reduced peripheral vision. Okay, and then the next thing, usually one of the last things that the doctor will look at when they do the ophthalmoscopy is that they'll look at the end the end of the optic nerve that enters the eyeball. Now, when we look inside the eye, we could see a circular appearance of a structure, and we're really looking at the end of the nerve that connects the brain to the eye. So, in other words, 
we could see the end that's entering into the eyeball. And by looking at the optic nerve from that end, we usually can tell if that optic nerve is damaged or if it's not. So most eye conditions that affect the optic nerve, we are able to see it because that end that enters the eyeball, it will be very, very white instead of pink. And when we see that kind of discoloration, we know that there's damage to the optic nerve, and that is called optic nerve atrophy. And with optic nerve atrophy, sometimes the cause of this it be because of increased pressure in the brain. Other times it could be other types of genetic and other inherited types of conditions, but there are medications and other treatments that are often used for these types of conditions. So that is what's under the ophthalmoscopy, and that is really what the pediatric ophthalmologists will look at very, very carefully. Now, when they're performing this test, they are able to look in the eyes so quickly that in a matter of a minute to two minutes, they could see all of these structures and identify all of these problems very, very quickly. So the doctor doesn't have to spend a real lot of time inspecting the tissues of the eyes. But it is very important to look at both eyes that way. Now, the next thing that the ophthalmologist will then do is to check what's called the intraocular pressure. And that is abbreviated in the charts often, I-O-P. Intra means inside ocular eye pressure. So how much pressure is in the eye? Now, one of the things is that we know that the front of the eye is filled with a watery substance called aqueous. And there are some children that are born where there's too much aqueous in the eye. So just like if you filled up a water balloon with too much water, it could explode. And that doesn't happen to the eye, but if you do have too much fluid, it causes too much pressure and that damages the optic nerve. We usually want the pressure of that eye. The IOP should be under 21 millimeters. So when you see in some charts, if it is given to you and the pressure is 25 or 40 or 60, it's urgent that the pressure is lowered. And that is usually going to be why the doctor prescribes the eye medication to lower the pressure. Now, after the pediatric ophthalmologist inspects the tissues of the eyes like this, they will make recommendations, and they may recommend medications or surgery, and to make the recommendation as to when these surgeries need to be done. If they do find something during this initial examination, they may also request additional testing There's other ways that we can examine the tissues and the function at a much higher level by using what's called computerized electrodiagnostic equipment. Now, these particular types of tests are are much more sophisticated 
And when children come back for these types of examinations, sometimes they do need to be put to sleep for these kinds of tests. For example, if we suspect that a child has a problem with the retina, and we think that this retina problem is an inherited one, there is tests called the electroretinogram, ERG, electroretinogram, where an electrode is placed on the eye and we shine checkerboard patterns on a computer screen and allow those checkerboard patterns to focus into the eye and we can measure how well does the retina see it. So this is a very effective way that we could measure whether or not that this child does have a problem with the retina or not. And based on that test result, that will determine other types of treatments that may be performed. So these are the types of things that the pediatric ophthalmologist will do. Now, there are also other types of general ophthalmologists that may examine children, and they are very capable of examining children. Now, during those particular types of tests, they are going to measure whether or not that a child needs glasses. That is one of the first objectives. And if you have a very young infant, a two- or three-month-old, again, they can't communicate. But the way that we can measure whether a child needs glasses is with another test that's called a refraction, R-E-F-R-A-C-T-I-O-N. And this is where we use an instrument that shines a light into the eye and we see how does that light bounce off of the retina. So when we shine that light into the pupil of the child's eye, we see this orange pattern and the light reflects back to us and we could see it. Now the color of that reflection and the way that that reflection moves when we move our little light, it tells us whether or not the light is focusing on the macula or if it's not focusing on the macula. And it sounds very, very complicated, but once you're trained to do it, it's a very, very simple technique for eye doctors to do to measure whether a child needs glasses or not. If the light is not focusing on the macula, we then place lenses in front of the child's eyes until the light finally focuses sharply on the macula, and that's when we know what the child's prescription is. Now, we then ask, what about the third type of eye doctor? What about the developmental low vision optometrist? What do they do that is so different? Well, when we receive patients, most of the patients that we have seen have already had the dilated examination by the pediatric ophthalmologist, and they usually will give us the diagnosis. But if a child has not been seen by the pediatric ophthalmologist, we will then use the eye drops to dilate the eye and to make the diagnosis of what may be wrong with the eyes? If we do find that there is something wrong 
with a specific tissue of the eye, we will then refer that child to a pediatric ophthalmologist for medical or surgical treatment. Now, if the child has already been diagnosed by that pediatric ophthalmologist, we will then do what's called the functional vision assessment. And this is very different than the other exams because in the functional vision assessment, we are really looking at all of the visual skills that a human being has. And we are measuring the visual skills. As you could tell, so far with all the examinations that we've talked about, we haven't really measured what can the child see. What colors does the child see? How far can the child see? How much side vision does the child see? Can the child see at night? Can the child see in the dark? Can the child move the eyes to follow a moving object? Can the child shift the eyes from one person to another? Can the child coordinate both eyes so that both eyes are pointing at the same object? Does the child have double vision because the two eyes are not pointing at the same object? Does the child have depth perception where the child knows how close or how far an object is? Does a child have the ability to guide his or her hands to reach and pick up a toy? Or does a child not know how far that it is? So during the functional vision examination, we look at each and every one of these different types of visual skills. And these are the visual skills that are most often identified by specialists such as all of you, where you make an observation that a child does or does not see this very well. And based on those observations that you make, we rely very heavily on those observations that you make, and we revisit and we test all of those particular types of visual functions. We will then also prescribe different types of glasses. In some cases, we prescribe glasses to help a child to see better far away. Other times, that the child could see better up close. Other times, to improve a child's ability to see in the bright light. Other times, we'll improve the child's contrast vision. We also prescribe training glasses. If the baby has an eye that is going cross-eyed and turning inward, we have lenses that will train and force a child to straighten the eyes. Similarly, if a child's eyes are drifting outward towards the ears, we have glasses that could force the child to straighten the eyes. And in many of these cases, a child can learn to coordinate their eyes together and their eyes are straight within the first two years of life and they won't need surgery. We may also prescribe what are called low vision glasses. 
If a child has damage to the macula and cannot see clearly, we will prescribe glasses that will magnify everything that the child sees so that the child can actually identify mom's face's details and dad's facial details. And all of these things are very, very important because this visual information is sent to the brain, and when the visual centers of the brain receive this information, the brain cells grow and develop. But if a child does not have normal vision, or they have very blurred vision, or if a child is totally blind, those cells of the brain do not develop. And we only have a limited amount of time that we can effectively develop those cells. The first three years of life are really the most critical, but we still see that we could develop vision all the way up through the age of seven. So all in all, there are different types of eye doctors, and we are all working on the child's vision. But the part or the component of the child's vision that we are working on is very, very different. And today, there are still some ophthalmologists who will say, you don't need to see anybody but me. I could tell you if your child needs surgery or medications or glasses, so you don't need to see anybody else. But I respectfully disagree with that because... There are so many other visual skills that we can develop. And by developing these visual skills, it allows a child to be more effective in life. So at this time, I'm going to open it up so that if you have any questions or if you'd like to share any stories about how when you worked with a child, the child's vision developed. Uh, it's another indication that shows that vision can be improved. So if you have a question, press star 1 and introduce yourself and we'll take your questions, okay? Okay, does anybody have a question out there? Okay, gosh, you guys are all so smart. <laughs> okay, well, Karen, do you have any other comments or questions right now? Um, I do not have any questions right now. If anyone has any questions, just unmute your line by pressing star six again. Uh, but I would like to thank Dr. Bill for his, again, all his knowledge and um, how he makes things so simple to understand. I'm very appreciative. Oh, of... it's, 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 it's my pleasure, and I'm really glad that you folks at the Braille Institute, you sponsor these lectures and put them on. And uh, next month... We will be talking about how you can identify by just watching your own children or children you work with, what are the child's strengths and weaknesses so that it gives us an idea of knowing what we want to work on. So last call, does anybody have any comments or questions that you'd like to make? Okay, great. Well, Thank you. Enjoy us tonight, and happy holidays to 
all of you and your families. Likewise. Same to you. And Dick Burden from Ayers Alley, thank you very, very much.